0: We're going to be studying from the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, find the book of Ruth right after the book of Judges. Sometimes it's called the little book of David. And it might be interesting, what does David have to do with the book of Ruth? Well, uh, the book of Ruth is about his ancestors. And so we're going to study the book of Ruth. But before we get into the story of Ruth... I want to talk about something that all of us stand in need of. No matter who we are, we stand in need of something. No matter how smart we are or how slow some of us are, like me, how tough you think you are. We've got some tough people. I've met some tough people in this building. No matter how mean you are, you still stand in need of this, no matter how pretty you You are. We've got some pretty faces here today. No matter how pretty you are, you still stand in the need. No matter if you're a little ugly like me, no matter if you're rich, no matter if you're poor, no matter if you're an atheist, you still stand in the need. No matter if you're a Gentile, no matter if you're religious, no matter if you're Jew, no matter if you're black, no matter if you're white. No matter if you're a man, tough macho men here today, no matter if you're a woman, we all stand in the need of love. We do. All of us do, don't we? Have you ever asked yourself, why do I do what I do? What is my motivation? Where do I get this motivation. Why did you come to church here today? Because my mama told me to. My mama's here today. She didn't have to tell me this time. But why do we do the things we do? There was a psychologist who tried to examine these things. Where do we get our motivation? And it's called Maslow's hierarchy of need, right? And so he broke it down for us. Why do you do the things that you do? He said, the first thing is, is that we do things the way we do it. Because first of all, there's some physiological needs. Why did you go to sleep last night? Because you need sleep. Why did you eat, Jimmy, at the buffet? Because you like to eat. I like to eat. Why do we do that? Some things are broken down in a physiological way. I need to breathe. Jump in the lake without any oxygen tanks and you'll find your motivation very quickly to swim to the top, won't you? Because we need air, we need oxygen. So a part of why we do what we do is because we need it physiologically. Also, he said, the second need that we have is one of safety. We like to feel secure. That's why we lock those doors at night. Have you ever gotten up in the night and said, well, I need to lock the door? I can't sleep unless I lock that door because I need to feel safe. You need to feel safe. Our children need to feel safe. It's a part of our need. But right there after safety, right after physiological need, he identifies love and belonging as a part of that basic and fundamental need that all of us need not only just to survive but to flourish as human beings we all have that need to be loved to belong you know who knows this fact better than anybody who seems to know this fact better than anybody artist think about it They seem to know this muse, this motivation, this drive, this inspiration better than anybody. This desire to be loved. Think about the movies that you've seen. Think about the books that you've read. Think about the song on the radio. 99.9% of the time, it's about what? It's about love. It's about that desire to be loved, that desire to know love. F. Scott Fitzgerald, the great novelist, he said it like this, all life is, is just a progression toward and then a recession from one phrase, I love you. Think about how much of that we desire. We desire it, we crave it, don't we? For someone to actually love us unconditionally and all of life he said is that chasing that looking for that what is love philosophers and poets and artists have have tried to define it have tried to spell it out for us Aristotle said it like this love is composed of a single soul inhabiting two bodies it's pretty nice Aristotle But I like how Robert Frost, the poet, said love is an irresistible desire to be irresistibly desired. We want to be desired. We want to be loved. And love is the most transformative power in the universe. It is. Think about it. Do you remember how crazy you were when you fell in love? Do you remember how it changed you? And if you don't remember falling in love, have you observed someone that has lately and how it's changed them? It changes people. Think about it. They're not the same. In fact, all the rules of what you knew about that person fly out the window. You've heard so many friends before say it, haven't you? Oh, so-and-so's changed now that they met the new girlfriend, they're not the same person anymore. And all of a sudden, when people fall in love, their priorities change. Their personality changes. And the people around them change. Think about how powerful and transformative love is. And in our story today is a story about love. It's a love story. And it's interesting that God in His wisdom has put in His Word Stories like that of the story of Ruth. Why? Because God's Word penetrates our life. He talks about things that we deal with every day. He talks about those basic fundamental needs that all of us desire. In fact, it says in Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. Listen to this. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That sometimes when you begin to read God's Word, guess what happens? It begins to read you. It begins to read who you are. And God's Word is the clearest mirror you'll ever behold your face in. The world has mirrors. There's mirrors out there, but a lot of the world's mirrors are kind of like those ones in the funny houses. You remember the mirrors at the funny houses when you stand in front of them you look kind of funny? You look different? You're not, it's not actually reflecting who you are, but God's Word. When you look at yourself in the mirror of God's Word, you behold your natural face. So what is the story of Ruth? Turn over with me. The first thing that we can learn from the story of Ruth is first things, love is the answer to despair. Love is the answer to despair. We all know despair, don't we? We all know anxiety, don't we? We all know pain and suffering, don't we? And love is the only answer for it. And that's where the story begins. The story of Ruth begins with what? Tragedy. In fact, Ruth's father-in-law, Elimelech, and three sons die. Great way to start the story, the love story, isn't it? That the men die and there's three widows. So it begins in tragedy. It begins in death and we see the tenderness of Naomi in verses 8 and 9. Listen. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. It begins with a mother in law loving her daughters in law. And she gives them the option. She says, Go home. Go home. And we see one daughter in law returns home, but one desires to say, and we see their despondency. Listen in verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth, listen to it, clung to her. Ruth loved her mother-in-law, and even despite this despondency, this depression, she's hanging on to love, on to that which which matters. The second thing that we see in the story is not only that love is the answer to despair, but number two, love, listen to me, is faithful. Love is faithful. Love is loyal. There is a fidelity to what love is. And we see that in verses 15 and following. What's interesting about these verses in 15 and following is a lot of times you will hear them in wedding ceremonies because it it represents that fidelity, that loyalty, that faithfulness But guess who it's from? It's from a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. Listen to the words. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Go home. But listen to Ruth. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. You know, one of the things that I deal with in my life as I look in the mirror I look at God's word sometimes and I don't see what I need to see I see someone who's imperfect when I look at my life as a husband sometimes I find out pretty quick that I'm not perfect sometimes in my life as a son there's been times where I have not been a perfect son there's times where I have not been a perfect preacher don't tell anybody but I haven't. But one thing I do know, that even though I can't be the perfect husband, I can say that because my wife's not here, and I can't be the perfect preacher, I can be faithful. You can be faithful. And that's who Ruth is, a faithful Daughter-in-law and faithfulness. Listen to it is preserving, persevering in a commitment under any circumstance. That's what faithfulness is: persevering. And when we see people who are faithful, we it demands respect because we've seen this persistence in their dream or in this relationship. We see we see experience in that person. The only way you can get experience in a vocation or a hobby or sport is what? By being faithful in it. Do you think they made it to the Olympics on a whim? No, it's because they were faithful to that sport. They were faithful to that art. Think about accomplishment. Can you read a book without being faithful to the book? No, you you have to be faithful in your reading, don't you? Think about traveling. Can you make it to California in a day if you're not flying? No, you have to be faithful in your traveling, your education, a person's trust. All those things demand faithfulness. And faithfulness is actually focus. Faithfulness is focusing on what matters to you. The great Augustine said it like this, by faithfulness, listen, we are collected and wound up in a unity within ourselves, whereas we had been scattered abroad in multiplicity. That when you're faithful to something, there's a unity within you. You're unified in your spirit, in your heart, in your will, and no longer are you scattered, tossed about. And ultimately, Her loyalty and her faithfulness revealed Ruth's character. Listen, when Boaz meets her in verse 11 of chapter 2, listen to what he says. It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people. He had heard about her faithfulness. And because of that, he rewarded that. Thirdly, what we see... Not only is love the answer to despair, not only is love faithful, but actually love is also provisional. And what we see in this story is there is the gleaning of the grain, isn't there? And this was a provision under the law for the poor that those who owned fields would allow portions of the field to remain for those who were poor. And that was left... For Ruth and her family, in their poverty, she went to the field. She was able to glean the leftovers and bring those home. There was a provision for the poor in the old law. In Leviticus 19, 9 and 10, we have that statement where God commands His people, leave the corners of the fields for the poor. You know what the church has to be? The church has to be those corners of the field. This church has to be that provisional care for those who are poor. The church must be mindful of the poor, the marginalized, the hurting, the suffering, the orphan, the widow, the stranger, the addict, the abused. We are to be that corner of the field that's left for the poor. That's what his church is about. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. To do good unto all men and especially those of the household of faith. And what I'm proud of this church is, is that this church is a church that has the corners of the fields left. It is a church that's concerned for those who are hurt. It's a provisional And lastly, what we see in the story of Ruth is that love is patient. Love is patient. You see, Ruth desires to marry Boaz, and and she lets him know. Naomi gives her the advice, go to the threshing floor and meet Boaz and tell him. But you see, Boaz is not the nearest kinsman. And according to the ancient custom of the Jewish law, it was called liveret marriage. And the nearest kinsman had the option to marry. And the reason was, it was so that they could raise up a descendant in the name of the deceased. And so Boaz was a kinsman, but he wasn't the nearest kinsman. And so the option actually went to someone else. But listen to the advice of Naomi. In verse 18 of chapter 3, Naomi says, Sit still. Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. What was her advice to her daughter-in-law? Sit still. Stop. And a lot of times when we fall under the spell of love, right, or what we think is love, we like to hurry. But Naomi says, hey, sit still. Don't be hasty. Let the Lord work this out. Trust in His providence. Trust in His care. You know, sometimes it's hard for us, but some of the greatest blessings that God gives us, some of the greatest blessings that I have ever received from God was the answer, no. No. If I had received all the things I prayed about and begged Him about, I wouldn't be here. Some of the greatest blessings God gives each of us is the answer, no. And we need to learn to accept His answer. For all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and have been called according to His purpose. God loves you and He has the answer for you. And I can only see a week ahead. Not even that, really. I thought I'd know what I was doing tomorrow. But I'm going to a funeral. That's not what I had on my schedule last week. God knows more than we do. So in closing, I want to give you just a few applications and the lesson will be yours. Number one, love is more than a feeling. Love is more than attraction. Love is an ethic. It's a value. It's a way in which we live our lives. Paul said, now abide these three things, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. When you live your life according to that ethic, God is good. Number two, love is meant to be expressed to the people we love. Love is meant to be expressed just as Ruth expressed her love for Boaz, just as she expressed her love for Naomi. Love is meant to be expressed to the people that you love. So do it. Pick up your phone. Write a letter. Call the people that you love and know and tell them. You know, I read a story about Harry Truman. And they found a whole bunch of his letters that are in the presidential library, the Harry Harry Truman, and they're called Dear Bess. And most of the letters that he wrote were not to diplomats, were not to fellow heads of state, but he wrote 1400 letters that they have that are written to his wife bess and it was his practice that every day that he was away from his wife he would write her every day that he was president of the united states he wrote his wife when he was absent from her now that's that tells me something because a lot of times in my own life i'm busy I don't have it, but if the President of the United States has enough time to write his wife every day, then I have enough time to tell the people I love every day. So do it today. Lastly, or number four, our story begins in death in Ruth, but it ends in life. And isn't that the Christian story that our life begins in sin? It begins in death, but when Christ we find life. And Christ has redeemed us as Boaz redeemed Ruth as his wife. Christ has redeemed his church as his bride. We are the object of his love and his devotion. That need for love comes from God himself. It's a desire for God himself. Lastly, I want to leave you with just one little story about King Cyrus. And there's a story told about King Cyrus during his conquest that he had captured a young prince and his wife, his beautiful wife, young wife. And so they brought the young couple before Cyrus and it was, he was surrounded in palatial beauty and power and anything that he said that his servants had to do. And so Cyrus asked the young prince, what would he do What would he give to be reinstated to his position in his kingdom? And the young prince answered. He said, I don't value my crown or my freedom. The only thing that I ask is that you restore my wife to her freedom and to her former dignity. And in fact, I'll even give my life for that. If you give my wife her freedom." If you restore her to her former dignity, I will gladly give up my own life for that. Cyrus sensed his integrity and his goodness, and he let all the prisoners go that day. And as the prince walked away, he asked his wife, he says, well, what did you think about the palace? What did you think about standing before King Cyrus and his power and his might? And she replied, I did not observe them. So he scratched his head. He said, well, what did you see? And she said, the only thing that I saw was the only the man who was willing to give his life for me. She could only see the one who truly loved her. The man who was willing to give his life for her freedom. And ultimately, isn't that who Christ is, one who loved us so much that he gave his life for our freedom? Let's not take our eyes off of him who loves us. Chesterton once said, Try not to change the world, you will fail. Try to love the world, and lo, the world is changed, changed forever. Ultimately, if we try to change people, if we try to change the world... We'll fail miserably. But if we love the people who are out there, if we love each other, if we love people as Christ loved the world, did Christ change the world? Yes. How did He change the world? By loving the world. He died for you and me. Have you obeyed Him? The Bible says that if we want to follow Christ, then we are His disciples by the way that we love each other, by by the way that we love our neighbor, by the way that we love our enemy. And that love is a faithful love. The Bible says that we repent of sin, we turn from sin, and we confess Christ to be the Son of the living God. And we're baptized into His body, the church, because baptism doth now also save us, 1 Peter 3.21. Or maybe you're a Christian, and you've let that love diminish in your life, then we want to encourage you. We're going to sing this next song to encourage anyone that has a need, a need to to be immersed, to be baptized, a need to respond for prayer, uh, whether it be spiritual or physical, we're here to pray with you. Won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.